Welcome into the BetUS College Football Show. It is week 14. It is championship week. And we're going to split this up into two different shows. We're going over every single conference championship game along with the Pac-12 makeup game between USC and Cal. We will do that on tomorrow's show, which is now a good reminder that we will have a Thursday show at 12 p.m. Eastern time. But you are here on a Wednesday, and we are ready to get rock and rolling with the early slate. We do have two title games on Friday night, and we have uh, several, several more on Saturday. We'll talk about the ones that are happening in the early portion of the day. Uh, before we do that, why don't we go ahead and introduce the experts for you. On the left side of your screen, you will see Parker Fleming, who is our analytics guy, our numbers guru, all that kind of stuff. I call him the numerical guru. You can find his stuff over at cfb-graphs.com. You can also find him on Twitter, at Stats of War. Parker, uh, fantastic rivalry weekend last week, and and another exciting weekend to go. Talk about these games, and I mean, you've got powerhouses all around. Like, I mean, even starting Friday, you've got Oregon-Utah rematch, and then, you know, we're going to talk Western Kentucky and, and UTSA rematch. Like, so just some good second chances this weekend, too. A lot of stakes on the line with the playoff being undecided. So I'm excited to get into some of these games. Same here. On the right side of your screen is Kyle Hunter. He is our professional award-winning handicapper, and he is generally on the right side of his picks. You can find him on Twitter at Kyle Hunter Picks. Uh, Kyle, again, Rivalry Week was fantastic. You and I and Parker all texted each other the entire weekend through some of the craziest results I have ever seen in, in just one weekend. It was bananas at do we get something similar this weekend? Boy, I hope so. Um, you know, just some wild, wild results. And uh, some teams really stepping up, other teams not. Obviously, my Buckeyes being one of them. But, uh, you know, here we are. We got some great games to talk about this week, and I'm pumped up about it. Let's go. You got that right. Uh, let me go ahead and remind everybody, head over to BetUS.com. Uh, BetUS, where the game begins. Make sure that you get signed up over there. And, uh, and yes, take advantage of what all is being offered over on the website I will remind you to like the video. There are more people watching than have liked as of right now. Let's get that math to even out. So go ahead and click the like button for us. It's the little thumbs up button. Looks like that right there. And make sure that you subscribe to the channel. Uh, just because the college football season is ending does not mean that we are going away. We will be here for the duration. We got bowl season. We got national championship stuff. We got the playoff. We got everything happening. So make sure that you are subscribed to the channel, that you like the video, as I said, and jump into the comments, jump into the chat. Uh, there won't be any additional games this week, but if you want to know about playoff odds, et cetera, whatever, toss it in there. If you want an opinion from us, I mean, we were just last week talking about our favorite Thanksgiving foods, so we will answer anything that you want to toss in there. Get in on the chat. We see Big Trouble Jack, Larry Pilgrim, uh, P, let's see, P Matt is already in. I mean, just a bunch of guys already jumping in the chat. You can be a part of the show as well. So go ahead and dive in there. Uh, with that said, let's go ahead and give you a recap of what we have done thus far this season. Our records so far for the year, overall, 131, 125, and 7. Last week, I went 4-3, and three, which, by the way, I'm your host, Gary Seegers. You can follow me on Twitter, at GaryWCE. But I went 4-3 and three last week. Kyle went 2-2. Two and two. Parker, 3-6. and six. Uh, Parker, rough week last week, but... Uh, you know, rivalry week, you never know. You just never know. Uh, overall, on the season, I am sitting at 49, 39, and 4. 
Kyle is 35 and 29, and Parker 47, 57 and three. And guys, we still have a long ways to go. Plenty of bowl games, plenty of conference championship games. Let's uh, let's dive into this first game. Friday night's first championship game kicks off at 7 p.m. Eastern time, and we have got Western Kentucky, the Hilltoppers, going over to the Roadrunners, UTSA, and UTSA a three-point dog. This line has moved four and a half points from the time that it opened until now on Wednesday afternoon, and the total sits at 73. They're expecting a lot of points. Of course, you're expecting a lot of points with this Western Kentucky offense led by Bailey Zapp. Uh, UTSA won the original matchup earlier this season, 52-46 to 46 at Western Kentucky. And, of course, UTSA lost their first game of the season last week against North Texas. Got their doors absolutely blown off last week. Western Kentucky has won seven straight games since their loss to UTSA. They are 6-1 and one against the number they have covered in five straight weekends. UTSA 0-3 against the spread in their last three games. These are two teams headed in completely different directions here. Uh, the discrepancy that I am seeing, uh, Western Kentucky number five in offensive success rate, UTSA number 39 in defensive success rate allowed. That seems like a pretty big deal. Parker, I want to start off with you on this one. UTSA's numbers looked fantastic early in the season. When you start to measure out the stuff from early in the season and you just look at, say, week seven or week eight through now, UTSA does not look like the same football team. I don't know that it's an injury, uh, but every team seems to hit that wall at some point where they do not play as well. It seems like that's what's going on with UTSA, and it seems like Western Kentucky has kicked it into overdrive. What are your thoughts on this one? Yeah, you definitely wonder about depth throughout the course of a season with some of these lower-level G5 teams, just because again those rosters are not as um, as stacked as other, uh, you know, your your Power Fives and and your higher-level G5s. Um, they they definitely are coming down. Thirty-fourth um, in EPA margin since week five, whereas Western Kentucky is actually eighteenth. This offense has taken off and. Western Kentucky's defense has been pretty feisty, 16th in raw defensive EPA per play. Uh, of course, that's not opponent adjusted. They play a pretty weak schedule, but they have been feisty uh, kind of down the stretch. And I think their offense has been explosive all season, right? Um, Bailey Zappi, 20 or second, excuse me, uh, second overall in total EPA for quarterbacks this year. And so just an excellent performance by him. Uh, and, and the entire Hilltopper offense. Um, I, I wonder how they'll mesh against this um, UTSA defense. It's kind of been up and down. One thing that UTSA has been really, really bad on a defense is finishing drives. They're 25th in echo rate, right? 44%, but they are 117th in points per quality possession, allowing 5.16. What that tells me is they're struggling with big plays. You saw that UAB game. There was a couple of huge plays in the first half um, uh, against UTSA's offense, and their defensive success rate is 82nd overall. So I, I would be very worried about UTSA in this spot, specifically because if you have the big play bug, Bailey Zappi and the uh, Western Kentucky Hilltoppers are not the team you want walking through the door there because they have nothing but big play potential. 23rd in EPA per pass, 4th in passing success rate, 4th in quality possession rate, 14th in points per quality possession, 12th in early downs EPA. This offense is an absolute assault. And so it is. I, I, I think UTSA is a really high-quality team. I do think they're stumbling down the stretch, and I think exactly what's ailing them could be exactly what Western Kentucky is really, really good at. The, the problem for me here is that if you look at what Western Kentucky has done and who they've played, 
I'm not super excited about their strength of schedule. And so I think it's possible that this could be a situation where opponent adjustments really, really matter. Um, I think I'm generally staying away from this one just because there is so much uncertainty on both sides. And I don't know how to quantify the, are they slowing down? Um, will they be able to get up for the conference championship kind of deal for UTSA? I thought they got their bad game out of the way with that odd Southern Miss game where Southern Miss had no quarterbacks and ran the Wildcat and still was really, really close the whole game. But generally, I think that um, UTSA has has a lot of trouble with these big plays, and Western Kentucky is really, really good at generating these big plays. Now, you, you bring that up. On the season, UTSA number 68 in 20-plus yard plays allowed. Western Kentucky is number two in that metric on offense. Uh, you look at getting pressure on the quarterback, anything to make Western Kentucky uncomfortable. At UTSA, number 31 in defensive adjusted sack rate, Western Kentucky is number one in the country over the last seven weeks. Uh, that's that's rough. Now, of course, that might be it might, might need to be opponent adjusted, but uh, that's still pretty, pretty good. Pretty good. Kyle, uh, you know, looking on the other side of the ball, UTSA, number 53 in offensive success rate. Western Kentucky, number 33. It's exactly what Parker was talking about. The Western Kentucky defense has been feisty. Uh, they are they are showing to be pretty good, uh, especially against Marshall last week. I mean, they just took Marshall behind the woodshed. And I don't believe a lot of people really expected that. Uh, this just looks like two teams headed in opposite directions. What are your thoughts on it? Yeah, I, I like Western Kentucky in this one. And in last week's game, um, I had Western Kentucky in that one. We were at least a little bit fortunate that Grant Wells got injured. You don't like to see anybody get injured, but Marshall had their backup quarterback in for the second half of that game. Having said that, I think Western Kentucky probably would have won that game anyways. They kind of got going there in the second half. We're tough to stop. And I guess uh, the comeback to Western Kentucky strength of schedule issues would be UTSA has played a really bad schedule as well. So, I mean, this is a um, both teams have played a really weak schedule. Conference USA is bad. Um, you know, I, I want to back Western Kentucky on the road here against UTSA. They've outgained, uh, they outgained UTSA by more than 100 yards in the game that they lost earlier this year. And then Western Kentucky has won seven straight games, none of those games by less than 15 points. So they've really been very impressive. I do agree with Parker that there is some concern that the, the quality of teams that they played during that was not great. But, um, you know, they took care of business and they didn't squeak by. They didn't have these ugly wins. They were very good. The Hilltopper defense has been much better. I'm really impressed by uh, ball hawking, you know, 27 turnovers <laughs> forced. Um, UTSA has really faded down to the end of the season, like you guys said. And and the biggest problem here for me for UTSA is they, they're good at one thing on defense and they're bad at another. And it's not what they want when they go up against Western Kentucky. They're good at stopping the run. doesn't really matter against Western Kentucky. They're really bad at stopping the pass. Western Kentucky is going to throw the ball constantly. Um, weather won't be an issue played in the dome. So uh, they rank 99th in coverage grade does UTSA at PFF. That is not good when you're about to play Bailey's app. Uh, I think Western Kentucky gets their revenge in this game. So I'll take the Hilltoppers. I am doing the exact same thing. We'll go ahead and make it official. Uh, Kyle and I both like Western Kentucky minus the three here, uh, but I understand where Parker's coming from. You know, if UTSA can, can get themselves boosted up for a conference title game at home, uh, they got they got the talent. We'll see though. I I still feel very strongly that Western Kentucky has this thing rolling, and in college football, it is incredibly difficult to turn it back on once it has been turned off. That'll move us to the next Friday night matchup, and we have got a pretty good rematch. 
uh, that I would like to see again. I'm glad we're getting this one again because Utah blew the doors off of Oregon the last time they met in Salt Lake City just a few weeks ago. Utah, a two-and-a-half-point favorite, juiced at minus 115 at home. The Well, not at home. Excuse me. This is in Las Vegas. Uh, the total here sits at 58. At Utah won it 38-7 to about, uh, what, two weeks ago, I believe it was. Oregon 4-2 and two against the spread their last six games. That includes the one where they got stomped by Utah. Uh, Utah only 2-4 and four against the number away from home this season. We talked about how big of a deal that home field advantage actually is for Utah. And they will not get it here. This one, of course, will be in Las Vegas. I think the biggest thing to pay attention to here is penalties. Uh, Oregon number 112 in penalties per game. Utah number 11. It's a very disciplined team for Kyle Whittingham. Uh, Oregon, you could see them making mistakes throughout uh, this entire season. I mean, it's it's really what's bothered them all year. They're 10-2 and two on the year. Could be even better. If not for a bunch of uh, a bunch of mistakes that they've made, penalties. Uh, Utah number 16 in offensive success rate. Oregon number 88 in defensive success rate allowed since week seven. Uh, it, it's this Utah team just looks completely different since they put Cam Rising in. Just completely different. Kyle, I want to start off first with you. Uh, what are what are your thoughts on Utah and the Ducks? So you could see this one setting up when you see a line of three to start with for Utah. You know there's going to be some people come in and say, Oregon and there's a revenge spot. They're going to take the three points. No doubt this one was going to go down a little bit. Uh, we've seen some of that sharp money come in on Oregon in this one. And I understand that line of thinking. At the same time, I trust Kyle Whittingham more than I trust Cristobal. I think Whittingham's the better coach by a pretty wide margin. Utah was surprisingly weak against the run earlier this season. Whittingham's teams are usually really good against the run. Very good defensive lines. Uh, this defensive line is very talented, too. They have three of their top five run defense grades from PFF in their last three games. They also have three of their top five pass rush grades in the past three games. So the Utes defensive line is really rounded into form. Oregon, very reliant on the run. You know, I, I don't trust Anthony Brown that much. I know he played well against Oregon State, but this isn't Oregon State uh, defensively here in this one. Uh, Utah's offense has been a lot better with Cam Rising. But the Utes do prefer to run the ball a lot. Both of these teams do 57% and 58% of their plays runs. Both teams are using more than 27 seconds on average in between plays. And last time when they played, guys, 126 snaps is all there was in the game. A very slow-paced game. That certainly could at least be somewhat because Utah had that uh, lead in the game. But I think the total in the first game was 58. And now you get a total of 58 again even though both offenses weren't exactly amazing. Utah had some points from special teams, and and it wasn't just their offense uh, crushing Oregon by any means. So this game means a lot to both teams. I'm going to take under in this one. Uh, Larry Pilgrim jumped in on the chat. He said, uh, Oregon has issues with downhill defensive attacks. Utah and Stanford don't wait for the O-line to make it to the second level. Uh, he also said Utah with Cam are 2-2. Two and two against the spread away from home, and he is not wrong about that. Uh, two of those early losses were uh, were with Charlie Brewer at quarterback. So it's it's a little bit different numbers when you just look at the trends. I don't think trends will have anything to do with this one. Uh, Parker, I, I'm looking at, you know, I'm very surprised at Oregon's defensive adjusted sack rate. They are number 108 since week seven. Uh, Utah is number three in that metric on offense. I, I don't see Oregon being able to pressure Cam Rising in this spot, at least not often enough to uh, cause any real issues. And then Oregon, uh, this is an offense that relies on the running game. 
you're talking number 11 in stuff rate. Uh, they only give up 3.8 yards per rush. I, I can understand people thinking, oh, Oregon's the more talented team. They'll come back with revenge, et cetera. But nothing in the storyline of this game kind of bears that out. If you can maybe get Oregon with a different start to the game than what they had in Salt Lake City, then maybe they will be able to keep this thing close and have a shot at the end. I just don't see it. Uh, give me give me your thoughts on this one. Yeah, so, so looking at Oregon, specifically if you're kind of looking down the stretch and trying to make sense of their metrics, I mean, they've played some really weak opponents leading back up into this game. Aside from Utah, which is obviously a very strong opponent, they've played Cal in a close game, UCLA, Colorado, Washington, Washington State, Oregon State. That slate doesn't necessarily inspire and instill fear in the hearts of men. And I think that Oregon has just been more talented than those teams, not necessarily better in terms of an objective sense. And that's why they've been able to pull off so many one score uh, and close games there. I think if you look at what Oregon wants to do on offense, Utah's defense is actually pretty well suited for that. They're, they're, they're okay against the rush 55th in defensive success rate. Again, that's since week five. And recently that's been a lot better. Um, Oregon is ninth in EPA per rush. They're rushing 83% of the time, but we see that Utah is a way more physical team than they are. And so I don't know how much game planning or how well suited Oregon is to put this ball in Anthony Brown's hands, the quarterback and say, Hey, go win us this game through the pass Utah 18th and defensive success rate on, on, uh, passing. So even if Oregon tries to do that, I think Utah's defense can be really disruptive. And then of course, with Oregon's defense, crazy to say that, uh, a unit that has maybe the number one NFL draft pick in, uh, Thibodeau. Is, is bad. It is underwhelming. And I think that uh, is a really illustrative uh, example of how football is a game of 11 men on the field. It's not like basketball where, you know, basketball, you can have one guy and overcome a lot of issues, but football, you, you've got to have complementary parts. Teams are able to focus on Thibodeau and just kind of take everyone else out of the equation because they've eliminated the best threat there. Um, and so I, I think Utah is disciplined. I think they're physical. I think that they've been playing really, really well, second in EPA offense since week five uh, overall. And while Oregon's offense has been good, it's mostly been on the ground game. I don't expect anything to be different here than last uh, meeting. Uh, I think I'm going to go ahead and go with Utah uh, to cover here. That would definitely make sense. Uh, I do want to make sure and mention, obviously, Oregon has had a ton of injury issues all season. This is not the same roster that they started the year with. We understand that. So when we say that they are the more talented team, technically they still are. They're not the most experienced, though. There's a lot of other issues at hand here, uh, which is why Parker likes Utah to cover the two and a half. Uh, so we'll, we'll make that official, and we've got two plays on it. Uh, Kyle is going to ride the under 58, and Parker, Utah, minus two and a half in this one. That will lead us to the Saturday noon kicks and the first one we'll start off with is the mac championship game that will be in detroit kent state and northern illinois uh, of course northern illinois a ton of one score wins they lost their most recent game uh got blown out rocky lombardi the quarterback was out for that game which was a little strange to me uh he went out with a uh, a head injury three weeks prior against kent state played in two games and, and got them to the championship game and then did not play against Western Michigan. A little strange. But, uh, but Kent State won this matchup early in the season, 52-47 to 47 at home. Uh, it, was, it was a few weeks ago. Uh, the, uh, the line here, and I did not say it. I should have. My apologies. Northern Illinois is a three-and-a-half-point dog here. Total of 74-and-a-half, which uh, total in the 70s for a MAC game makes perfect sense to me. 
absolute perfect sense. Uh, Kent State five and two against the spread in their last seven games. Northern Illinois three and three against the spread in their last six. They are five, three, and one against the number as a dog this season. Uh, since week seven, Kent State number one in offensive success rate. Uh, Northern Illinois number one twenty-four in defensive success rate allowed. Kyle, I want to start off with you on this. I know that you are uh, a big Kent State homer, especially this weekend with your plus 1,400 preseason ticket on them. Uh, you've got a big futures bet on them. Uh, I I do like Kent State quite a bit here. What are your thoughts on this one? Yeah, let's go Golden Flashes here. Um, you know, this is a this is a really big game for for Kent State and, and for myself. Uh, no hedging, plus 1,400 uh, to win the MAC future. I'm invested a lot here. Guys, we talked a lot about both of these teams, right? We've talked about Kent State quite a bit from the early season and Northern Illinois. Northern Illinois certainly impressed compared to expectations. Their numbers uh, would say that they're not nearly as good as what they are. Uh, Dustin Crum definitely turned it on in MAC conference play compared to what he did beforehand. And if you look at the game-by-game breakdown of Dustin Crum, which team did he play the best against all year? Uh, PFF gave Crum a 94.4 rating against Northern Illinois. That is ridiculously good. Um, the truth is, Northern Illinois is one of the worst teams I've ever seen in a conference title game. And, you know, look, this team went way over their win total. They've, they've done good. But they're minus 0.77 yards per play margin on the season. Uh, it boggles the mind how a team that's nearly negative one yards per play margin uh, could get to the title game. But here we are. Uh, you know, um, this is not to say I think Kent's an amazing <laughs> team, guys. It's it's more to say that I think Northern Illinois is a team I'd like to bet against. And let's be honest, Northern Illinois and their side of the division in the MAC, they'd be underdogs to three teams on that side of the division if they were going to play on a neutral tomorrow. So it says a lot. Uh, Kent's running game has been excellent this season. They ranked fourth in the country in success rate on rushing plays. So this is not just Dustin Crum airing it out here at Kent. They can run the ball very well. Northern Illinois, 5.72 yards per carry allowed on the gear. Uh, you know, in the first game, I don't know what really happened. 500 yards for Rocky Lombardi, tremendous stuff. Um, Kent had loaded up to stop the run, obviously. Uh, the Huskies took advantage. I want to take the over, guys. I really want to bet the over in this game. But this is an extremely high number. It's, it's almost exactly on what I would make this total I can't take over this high of a number, but, I mean, you'd have to be some kind of a freak to want to bet the under in a game like this. Oh, you've certainly got that right. It did hit a total of 99 in the first matchup between them, uh, so 25 points more than what uh, than what this number is currently set at. Uh, as you were talking all of that, I couldn't help but think, if Northern <laughs> Illinois finds a way to win this, I am glad that they will be attacking you this time <laughs> as opposed to me since I had to feel the wrath of the NIU fan base just a few weeks ago when they actually secured their berth in the title game. Uh, but, you, I mean, nothing that you're saying is wrong. Kent State, uh, this season, number two in turnover margin. Uh, Northern Illinois is number 101. So not only can they not protect the ball, uh, they're not going to be able to generate turnovers from Kent State. Uh, you got two bad defenses here, so obviously anything can happen in that situation. But I would expect a lot of big plays here, a lot of big plays. Kent State, number 113 in 20-plus yard plays allowed. Uh, NIU, number 121. Neither one of these teams can get pressure on the quarterback. Uh, I will I will tell you I am going to ride Kent State minus 3.5. That line has jumped up a little bit. Uh, but, Parker, i got to get your opinion on this. Uh, if you're about to uh, badmouth NIU, 
I'll, I'll just go ahead and warn you. I didn't give Kyle the proper warning, but they can be ruthless and, and very relentless. All, all that bunch up into cab. Give me, uh, give me your thoughts on it. Yeah, I, I think when you look at Northern Illinois, you just, I, man, they're a hard team to explain. I have them at 58th in EPA margin. They're they're 15th uh, in on offense, 118th on defense. Um, that 15th on offense is entirely driven uh, by rushing against bad teams. Um, they're, you know, they're 11th in EPA per rush. They're obviously not the 11th best e, uh, rushing offense in the nation. Um, the Where I tend to focus more is just uh, how many points will Kent State be able to put up? That's kind of how I'm thinking about this matchup. And Kent State, first in offensive success rate, like you said, since week five, fifth in offensive EPA, seventh against the pass, 18th against the rush, seventh against the pass, Gary, and they're passing uh, just about 46% of the time on early downs. So they're, they're, they're pretty balanced, and they're still maintaining high efficiency on both passing and rushing. I think they're going to spread out this Northern Illinois defense, um, and I don't think there's any way that Northern Illinois and Rocky Lombardi is going to be able to um, keep pace here. Uh, at, at, at all. Uh, you know, they, they've been pretty good defensively on third downs, but Kent State is third in early downs EPA. Northern Illinois is 126th. Uh, I think I think Kent State, Dustin Crum will have a lot of opportunities to take deep shots. I don't think NIU has the athletes on the edge nor the defensive scheme to pose a real threat. We saw kind of when things get out of hand for Northern Illinois is what that looks like last um last week. And so I, I, I'm going to ride with Kent State here too, even if the line did move a little bit. Um, I, I, I'm fine with that as well. Let's make it official. Parker and I both are riding with the golden flashes minus three and a half in this one. That'll take us to a pretty big championship game that has playoff implications. Baylor and Oklahoma State playing in Arlington, Texas in the, the world that Jerry built, of course. The Cowboys, a five-and-a-half-point favorite, total of 46-and-a-half. So not a lot of points expected in this one. Oklahoma State won the first matchup earlier this season, 24-14 to in Stillwater. Uh, the biggest question here to me, is Jerry Bohannon playing? He's got a hamstring issue. He did not play against Texas Tech last week, and they did not look very good with the backup in there. Uh Baylor 2-2 two and two against the spread in their last four. They are 2-1 and one against the number this season as an underdog. Oklahoma State in their last 10 games, 9-0-1 oh, against the spread. Uh, that, now, that's against the closing line, of course, because I lost them last week on the show against Oklahoma, but the closing line was four. They did, in fact, win by four, uh, which was a tough beat for the show, but luckily I had gotten it at three and a half beforehand, <laughs> so I felt all right about that. Uh, I had quite a bit riding on it. Uh, Oklahoma State, number seven in net points per drive. Oklahoma State, number 22 uh, in that regard. Excuse me, Baylor, number 22 in that regard. Uh, Baylor, number 71 in offensive success rate since week seven. Oklahoma State's defense is number one in success rate allowed since then. Uh, Parker, I want to start off with you on this. The, this is your bread and butter. You know the Big 12 better than any of us. I'm curious your thoughts on this. Does Baylor have a shot if Bohannon is not playing? Um, I, I, I think they do, although certainly they want Bohannon. Uh, the backup, Blake Shapin, is, is not awful. Um, and, and, of course, Jeff Grimes is really good schematically, and they've had a couple weeks to work with him. I, 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 of course, would subscribe to the idea that they probably were just doing as little as possible to beat Texas Tech last week, knowing that if, if they were going to play again, it was going to be in the Big 12 championship. And uh, especially with the backup, you know, if, if he's competent and Jeff Grimes is good schematically, the less tape that Oklahoma State has on him, the better, right? Um, yeah. I do think that Bohannon has matured as a runner, and I do think that if he was available – 
uh, they certainly would prefer to have his kind of mobility, even if he's uh, limited downfield. Um, Shapin is going to be a little bit of a different offense than we've seen from Bohannon. And so that's at least interesting from a football sense. Overall, though, when you look at this Baylor team, uh, you know, they're 26th in, in EPA. They're 29th on offense, uh, 44th in defense. Uh, so 26th in net EPA. And they're, they're not bad by any means, but they're not elite on either side of the ball where they really get a ton of value is things like special teams and things like third and fourth down. So specifically on offense, you know, Dave Aranda has been going for it more than almost anyone this year. They're 22nd and third and fourth down success. They're one of the teams that has generated the most value on third and fourth downs overall. And so on early downs, they're struggling. Uh, 62nd early downs EPA, but like I said, 22nd and third and fourth down success on offense for Baylor. And so that, that's a that's a plan to beat a lot of teams and stay in some games that you shouldn't and take care of some teams that are um, potentially evenly matched with you. That's a really great way to kind of eke out some extra value. But against Oklahoma State, where a team is obviously better than you, they're, they're, they're first and third and fourth down success rate um, allowed Oklahoma State a second and early downs EPA. So I, I don't know how much extra value uh, Baylor's offense is going to be able to kind of squeeze out of the situation. Oklahoma State did have some special teams nonsense last week in Bedlam. Uh, they were, you know, understandably hyped up. They made some dumb mistakes. Spencer Sanders made a couple bad throws. Baylor's defense, very opportunistic. Uh, but then again, uh, actually pretty bad against the pass. And Sanders looked okay throwing the ball downfield. 70th against the pass for uh, Baylor's defense and 60th for Oklahoma State's offense. So I think Oklahoma State's uh, defense, rather, is one of the best units on the field. They held Oklahoma scoreless in the second half last uh, last week. They were really, really disruptive to Caleb Williams. And uh, with what Oklahoma State's offense was able to do against uh, Oklahoma's offense, I don't know that Baylor's going to be able to keep points here. I would lean towards Oklahoma State, but without knowing whether Bohannon plays, I'm not sure that I have a play on this one. I part of me does worry about the idea of getting off maybe the biggest win in program history, or at least one of them last week, and then having to come right back out and play against an incredibly competent team, obviously in a championship setting against Baylor. Uh, it could be tough for Oklahoma State to get fired up for this one. But then again, it is a championship game. Maybe that's not even something I should be considering at all. I, I think kids can get emotionally up in multiple games in multiple weeks. Uh, but it, I could totally see where that would be uh, a bit of an issue. Uh, Kyle, the turnover margin here is something that may concern me a little bit with Spencer Sanders. He can be a little careless with the football sometimes. Uh, we saw Oklahoma State actually give Oklahoma points last week, which drove me insane. That game should have been a blowout, but alas, it was not. And then I had to sweat out a cover at the end. Um, the turnovers, uh, turnover margin here. Number 57 for Oklahoma State on the season, number 20 for Baylor. Baylor tends to take care of the ball a little bit better. Uh, if you look at some of these other numbers here, um, Baylor number 40 in defensive adjusted sack rate. Oklahoma State is number 16 in that regard. Uh, I don't think they're going to be able to get much of a uh, pass rush on Spencer Sanders, but that doesn't necessarily mean that he won't make mistakes. Uh, what are What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I have a lot of thoughts on this one and a couple questions for you guys, too. So uh, I'll make this a little bit different than we do on a lot of our other breakdowns. But um, Oklahoma State off that massive win for the program. I mean, you could see how much that meant to everyone, the coaches, the players. Uh, Gary alluded to this already. Can we consider this a bad spot for Oklahoma State? Because they know that they have a chance to get in the playoffs, um, you know, they got to be hyped for a game like this. Obviously, there's pressure on them. There's less pressure on a team like Baylor. But you know, I don't know. It's it's kind of hard for me to when people say, you know, Oklahoma State, it's a big letdown spot for them. 
I mean, you have to be pumped up about a game like this. I mean, it's hard to say. I mean, they're not playing Texas Tech in a regular season game. Um, to me, I think that's kind of a bad argument. Uh, you know, if Oklahoma State loses here, I don't think it's because, uh, you know, they didn't care because they won the last game. Um, and the question I have for you guys is uh, Baylor, Oklahoma State. So the coaching staffs here, which coaching staff do you like better? Uh, so, Parker, I'll answer this one first. I... I tend to like Oklahoma State better. I One, much more of a track record here, but I like Knowles and what he's doing with that defense, obviously. And, and Mike Gundy, I can always count on something a little strange, a little different from that offense. He has the ability to mix it up. Uh, he's been doing it forever. Parker, which, uh, which way do you lean? I mean, I think if I was building a program tomorrow, I would lean towards Aranda and Grimes just because football is forward thinking and 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 uh, in that sense. Uh, right now, I don't have a huge advantage either way. I mean, I think what Jeff Grimes has been able to do in one less than an offseason and come in and kind of have this team, you know, uh, implement an all new offense, um, really, really take care of a quarterback who's who's not good right now um, and make him look good. Uh, and and have him execute plays that he can execute the way that they've been able to win a bunch of close games that that you know they were they were less talented than their opponent and the way they were able to find wins um, I I think I would give a slight slight very short horizon uh, edge to Baylor um, although I mean Jim Knowles and what he was able to do in the second half last week was just a perfect display of how um, smart and receptive and responsive he is so a really good matchup I don't think there's an obvious lean uh, or an obvious discrepancy in coaching here. Yeah, that was that was kind of my point. Is I've I've heard some others previewing this one and saying there's a big coaching edge to Baylor. I think that's hard to say. I mean, you you kind of diss Mike Gundy and Jim Knowles. I mean, Knowles has been so good. And guys, I think you could make the argument that Oklahoma State is like what second or third best defense in the country this season. They've played some pretty good offenses. Uh, they're not Georgia, but you know nobody's Georgia on defense. Uh, this this defense has been tremendous. And and some people would point out and say 33 points last week to Oklahoma. I don't think Oklahoma scored a point on offense in the second half. Is that right? Uh, correct that's me correct. if I'm wrong. That's, that's true, yeah. Yeah, I didn't get to see all of this game. But, uh, you know, this is one where, you know, Oklahoma had 5.3 yards per play last week. So they didn't exactly light it up on offense. You know, that's not that bad for Oklahoma uh, offense that's good. Oklahoma State made good adjustments. Uh, I trust this Oklahoma State defense a lot. The other thing I wanted to point out, Baylor's plus 1.06 yards per play. Oklahoma State plus 1.08 yards per play. It is important to say that while those teams are almost tied there in Big 12 action only, Baylor's plus 0.51 yards per play, Oklahoma State plus 1.32 yards per play. That says quite a bit about Baylor's non-conference slate. And I remember Parker talking about that they have played some really weak teams in the non-conference. A lot of their offensive stats that were really impressive were during that, uh, that time. The, also, the first meeting, was really interesting because Oklahoma State won 24 to 14. Baylor punted nine times, broke a couple big plays, but really couldn't move the ball well. Oklahoma State finished negative three turnover margin, still won by 10 points. So I think, um, you know, if I was betting the side, I'd have to bet Oklahoma State and lay the points here. I kind of wonder if this number might go down a little bit. Um, there's a lot of love for Baylor as an underdog here this week. So let's see what this uh, does as far as, especially if Bohannon's status comes out a little bit more here. But I also lean to the under in this one. I haven't bet this one. I'm still considering 46 and a half is pretty low, but 24-14 last time, even with the three turnovers. So uh, a pretty strong lean to the under for me. I can totally get with that. I am going to make it official on my own behalf. 
I'm taking Oklahoma State minus five and a half, and that is not knowing whether Bohannon is playing or not. Uh, this team was able to shut down that Baylor offense in Stillwater. I expect more of the same here. This defense is so incredibly fundamentally sound that, I mean, I would I would ride to the moon with this bunch. I love Jim Knowles. I love what they're doing on defense. I think they're going to shut Baylor down again. Um, Baylor takes advantage of teams that make mistakes, that beat themselves. I don't think Oklahoma State does that, especially in this position. Uh, so I will ride with the Cowboys at minus five and a half. That leaves us with two games to go. Let me go ahead and remind everybody, like the video for us. Uh, we've got quite a few people watching now, and we certainly appreciate all of you. Uh, Paul, Damon, uh, Stephen, et cetera, guys that are in the chat, we certainly appreciate you for being here and being a part of the show. Like the video, subscribe to the channel, hit the notification bell. It's going to let you know when we go live. Of course, part two will be tomorrow, the late slate. The uh, Some of the biggest games of the weekend will be in the later slate, and we'll discuss those on Thursday at 12 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, but jump into the chat, of course, and remember tomorrow's show. Share the show out. Tell your friends about it. All that good stuff. Let's move into the Mountain West Conference title game, Utah State. What a job by Blake Anderson this season. Finished the year 10-2, and two, and they are facing off against San Diego State, and the Aztecs are a five-and-a-half-point favorite at home in Carson, California. Total of 50 on this game. Utah State won the last meeting in 2019, 23-17. These two teams have only played twice uh, in the last however long that uh, – numbers have been recorded as far as uh, spread numbers but uh but they are one and one straight up against each other and one and one against the spread so far in history uh Blake Anderson and Brady Hoke both deserve a lot of credit the stories on both of those guys are awesome uh Utah State five and one straight up and against the spread in their last six games San Diego State uh, had to get some work done in order to get to this position but they are one three and one against the spread in their last five games they have won four straight to be able to get here, uh, Utah State's offensive numbers make absolutely zero sense to me. I don't understand them. Uh, Kyle, I'm going to start off with you on this. They're number 88 in offensive success rate since week seven. They're number three on drives inside the 40, but they are number 101 in points per scoring opportunity. They're number 21 in explosive plays. I don't know how any of that works. I'm going to get Parker to explain some of it, too. I don't think any of this inconsistency will work against San Diego State, uh, but let me get your thoughts on it. Yeah, I mean, Utah State, for the year, first in the nation in offensive explosiveness. So they have been able to generate those big plays. They play very quickly. Um, guys, before the season on our season preview shows, I talked about how huge of an upgrade it was to Blake Anderson from Gary Anderson. I mean, just a massive upgrade. Uh, I've looked stupid on this show plenty of times in the past, and I'm sure I'm going to look stupid again. I might, if Northern Illinois beats Kent State, then, you know, I'm going to look like an idiot. But, um, <laughs> you know, I, but they'll let you hear about it too. <laughs> yeah, they definitely will. And I'll, I'll deserve it. I'm okay with that. Um, but what a season for the Aggies. You know, that, that take looks great now as far as the uh, coaching upgrade. Bonner is a very good quarterback for Utah State as well. And I think the positive thing I would say for Utah State against San Diego State is, I still think the San Diego State's defense is a lead against the run and somewhat untested against the pass. We've seen them be able to be moved on through the air against teams like Fresno State. Um, you know, Utah State probably needs to throw if they're going to do anything in this game. I don't think they'll have much success running. These two teams couldn't be much different. Utah State's 10th in tempo, San Diego State 114th. 
offensive-minded team in Utah State, great defense in San Diego State. Uh, you know, I think it's fascinating, guys. Uh, if if you were asking somebody what San Diego State's yards per play margin was in Mountain West play this year, you would assume it was really impressive. It was actually 0.00, so dead even. Uh, Utah State was plus 0.01. So it's just, that that was fascinating to me. I don't know what it means about this game necessarily. And I will say, I don't have any strong lean on this game. This is n number is right on what I made it. So uh, I'm going to let you guys uh, give a little stronger thoughts on this one probably because uh, I'm going to pass here. Big Trouble Jack jumped in on the chat. He said, San Diego State has been better after their quarterback change. Uh, and he's not wrong about that, but they, they still didn't exactly, you know, cover spreads and whatnot. They did look good against Boise last week. But this is a diminished Boise State football team. Um, yeah, I, I look at some of this, Parker. Um, my big question here, I guess, is whether or not the Utah State defense is good enough to make San Diego State make mistakes. Uh, both teams are kind of middling in turnover margin. I, I'm curious your thoughts here. San Diego State's offense might be as bad as their defense is good. And shout out to Kurt Maddox. He's on the uh, Broyles Award, the defensive coordinator there, who's done a really, really great job. They're 11th overall um, in, in defensive EPA, 20th against the pass, 7th against the rush, and uh, 15th on early downs. So really, really good there. Um, U Utah State's offense, I think, is, is a lot of fun. Uh, it's a little bit like they're just kind of um, – you know, in basketball, somebody's like a volume shooter. They just throw up a three every time they get it. And so their total points is high, but their efficiency is pretty low. That's a little bit Utah State. They're sixth in echo rate, quality possession rate. The dudes are getting opportunities. Uh, they're 82nd in points per echo. So they're just getting field goals, which is, I mean, that's great. It's, there's worse strategies than to do that. Um, they, they do have a little bit of a passing ceiling, 20th in EPA per pass. But the way that they've been rushing on early downs really, really uh, looks like they're being selective in the past there. Um, one thing that really worries me for Utah State in this spot, 71st and third and fourth down success. Uh, will they be able to extend drives? Um, field position is going to matter so much. Uh, these two teams are both really good, both top 15 on um, offense and then both uh, top 20 on, on defense and field position. Of course, San Diego State has, you know, maybe the best college football punter ever right now. So um, th this one's fun. Uh, I, I have this, uh, I, San Diego State should win this comfortably. The problem is, what is a comfortable San Diego State win? With their defense, <laughs> I think three points is a comfortable lead for San Diego State. And so um, th this is a little too close. And the fact that the way these two teams have played, kind of the non- uh, more of the more of the random, the special teams, the turnovers, the field position stuff has mattered more than the play-by-play -play efficiency. And so um, I have this at like four points for San Diego State, but I don't trust Utah State's offense against this defense enough to keep that close. So I, I don't have a play, but this is one of the better matchups of offense on defense that, that we've um, – more, more interesting matchups on offense and defense that we've seen all season. I, I agree. Yeah, I don't believe any of us feel comfortable enough – uh, with this one, uh, the line looks a little large at five and a half, but uh, I mean, you could certainly see San Diego State winning this by a touchdown or more. Uh, we just don't feel comfortable enough with them to actually take it. So no official play from us. If you would like to jump into the chat or jump into the comments and leave your opinion, we would love to hear it. Maybe you can sway us before game time on Saturday. Uh, that takes us to the last game of the day, and it is the Sunbelt Conference Championship Appalachian State against Louisiana, the last game for Billy Napier with the Raging Cajuns. 
and they are a three-point underdog at home. Total of 53. They are a three-point dog, and yet they won the first matchup on October 12th in Lafayette, 41-13. to uh, Billy Napier, of course, was announced as the Florida head coach, uh, and this is one of those feel-good stories where the players are all excited for him, the AD, the school president, uh, they are all excited for him to get this opportunity. It's been really nice to see, considering some of the other coaching changes and the way that uh, those have been handled. Uh, Louisiana, 4-1 and one against the spread and straight up as an underdog in the last two seasons. App State, 6-0 and oh straight up since losing to Louisiana. They are 5-1 and one against the number. They have won their last five games by three-plus touchdowns. They have been smoking teams. Uh, Louisiana, number five in turnover margin. App State, number 66 in that regard, and that plays heavily into my thoughts on this game. Uh, Parker, starting off with you on this, uh, Louisiana held App State to only 2.7 yards per rush in the first game. Uh, and if you look at that ball game, the Louisiana drives were not all short fields. They were able to drive successfully on this App State defense. And I don't see anything that leads me to believe that they wouldn't be able to do the same thing here. What, uh, what are your thoughts between uh, the Mountaineers and the Raging Cajuns? Yeah, the, the one thing to note about that game, I think that Chase Bryce had four turnovers. And not yeah, all of two, them were, were short fields. Two fumbles they, and, uh, and two interceptions. I think most yeah. of them were after App State had already taken a pretty big lead. And they got they got in Bryce's head for sure there, and things kind of spiraled. So that's one of those where the margin doesn't necessarily matter. And this game was long enough ago where, I mean, they both played a lot of football recently, and they both looked good, and their quality of opponent has, has been pretty similar. Um, the thing that I worry about here is, uh, again, it was senior day, and they played Louisiana Monroe, uh, Louisiana did, last week, and that is not a good football team, and they barely scraped by. Um, and so I wonder if they have the burners on. Obviously, I think Napier's a guy who can – um, you know, he's making a big enough jump that I think the players understand and the players say, you're right, we're going to finish as well. That's good. Uh, and so I, I don't expect there to be a motivation gap here, um, but but that is just something to keep tabs on. One thing that I really will note is that um, App State's uh, rushing efficiency is pretty poor. Uh, 34% offensive rushing success rate, 116th in uh, EPA per rush on offense. And, and and that's relatively where the Raging Cajuns have been weaker on defense. And I don't know that App State's going to be able to exploit that very much at all. On the flip side, since week five, this App State defense has been lights out. Fifth in defensive EPA, eighth in the pass, 12th in the rush. Um, and, and, and really, really good at preventing specifically points per quality possession, holding teams to less than a field goal when they cross the 40. So um, really, really good there. I think that actually App State's defense might be the best unit on the field here. I expect this to be close, to be a toss-up. Given how Louisiana kind of had App State's number, I'm not going to, uh, earlier this season, I'm not going to play this one because I do think that the potential for Chase Bryce to be um, exploited is is pretty high in this one. Um, but he has shown that when he's, you know, level-headed and competent, they're pretty fierce. Um, and so, I, I, again, this is, this is one of the better games this week. Um, I, I would slightly lean towards Louisiana covering, uh, but App State winning, uh, but I don't have an official play here. That's I exactly what you were talking about, them not showing up against ULM. This is a Louisiana team that, for whatever reason, plays to the level of competition week in and week out. We've seen them do it all season long. They beat Arkansas State, I believe, by one point earlier in the season, and yet they beat Liberty by four touchdowns. Right. This is a team that shows up big against teams that they view as a threat. And this is certainly a team that they view as a threat. They have beaten App State the last two times that they have played them uh, by three last year. And then, of course, housed them earlier this year at home. Uh, 
TR Sports Biloxi jumped in on the chat, said, bet against Louisiana as a home dog under Napier at your own risk. I will bet Louisiana and Napier uh, will coach in this game. LL is unbeatable as a dog. Now, I don't know about all that. Uh, Kyle, I do want to get your opinion on this. Um, App State, number 75 in offensive success rate. Louisiana, number 15 in defensive success rate uh, since week seven. I, I think... I really like Louisiana here. I'll go ahead and put that out there. Uh, but these these two teams, obviously, App State has shown out over the last five, six weeks, however long it's been. And I don't know that that makes any difference heading into this game. Now, we, we did talk about Western Kentucky and UTSA heading in different directions. I don't think Louisiana is headed in a different direction. I think App State looks really good. I don't know that it necessarily means anything. What do you think? Uh, I think there's a lot of... Um things going in different directions here that make me hesitant to bet this game. I'm, I'm definitely not putting anything on this game. I, I do want to make a couple points, though. App State has been more consistently good than has Louisiana. Against common opponents, App State plus 108 yards per game and Louisiana plus 33 yards per game. Uh, Louisiana has some kind of fraudulent-looking wins, plus six turnover margin against Liberty, uh, 42 points without really having to move the football App State's eighth in the nation and special teams grade, according to PFF. So that could be pretty important. The, the thing I do want to say, though, is I, I hear some other people saying, and I, I know I'm kind of quoting uh, others, you know, other podcasts, other videos. We know there's others out there. We don't have to name them, but we know there's others out there. Um, you know, I hear some people talking about, well, Napier's leaving. You got to bet against them. You know, this is not a situation like a power five team or a huge name team that's possibly going to be in the playoffs. Uh, the coach is leaving them. Uh, Napier going to Florida. I mean, who could blame him? I mean, I don't think any right. of these guys, this is like Gary said, guys. I mean, I don't think any of these players are going to say, I don't want to show up. I don't want to care because my coach is leaving to go coach for Florida. I just can't imagine uh, if you want to bet App State, I don't think that should be your reason for betting App State. Is kind of No, especially here, because so. Napier is actually coaching in this game. Like right, He is going right. to be there. And, He'll be announced. And he's as a raw, raw guy. Yes. Sure. Like he's, he's a player guy. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Sure. So uh, all this is to say, I'm not betting the game. If you like App State, I don't think that should be the reason you like App State. And uh, Gary, uh, I, I don't blame you for taking Louisiana because Napier has been able to get his team up for games like this. And I actually think there's a chance that, you know, this is his last game there. The players would kind of rally around him. So we'll see how this one goes. Yeah, no, it's, it will be an official play for me. Uh, Louisiana as a dog has been fantastic, and I will certainly take them again in this spot. Plus three at home, uh, last game for their head coach. I believe they will go out in style on this one. Uh, I know App State wants revenge for the way that things went earlier in the season, but they are returning to the scene of the crime, and I don't know that things will go a whole lot differently than they did before. It may not be as wide of a margin, but I do think Louisiana gets out of there with a win, and I will certainly take them as an official play. That is going to wrap up today's show. Good gracious. Uh, we'll go ahead and give out our uh, our picks, our recaps here, but, uh, but before we do that, let's go ahead and do a little Q&A. Uh, Big Trouble Jack jumped in earlier and wanted to know which coaching move surprised you more, Kelly or Lincoln Riley? Of course, Brian Kelly going to LSU from Notre Dame and Lincoln Riley going from Oklahoma to USC. Kyle, let's start off with you on this. Which one surprised you more? I think Kelly uh, surprised me a bit more. Um, when you think about it, Riley, with where they're going, uh, you know, moving to the SEC, 
it, it, it kind of makes sense to go to the Pac-12 because it's going to be an easier, you know, field. And, um, <laughs> the I, path guys, of I, resistance, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's much easier to get to the playoffs that way than it would be where he was going to be going. Um, and he could recruit well out there. I think, you know, there's going to be tons of quarterbacks to pick from. So uh, you would think Riley will do really well. Now, as far as Kelly, um, I try to keep my personal opinions uh, to a minimum here, but uh, I'm not a huge fan of Brian Kelly. So it makes it a bit hard for me to be really fair. I will say I'm not sure that he's the home run hire for LSU that some people think he is. So uh, time will tell. Uh, we'll see. I don't know that he's an amazing recruiter. Uh, you know, I think that uh, Kelly still has some questions to answer there. Um, you know, like I said, that's partially just me not being a big fan of Brian Kelly based on his past. So, uh, you know, I, I, we'll see what Parker thinks, though. Which one surprised you more, Parker? If you have any questions about Brian Kelly and Kyle's opinion, feel free to DM me. Um, <laughs> I think that uh, the, the, the thing, I think the Riley hiring absolutely surprised me more, uh, just because I, I, I'm close to co people, heard the story, kind of saw some things happening in real time. It was like, oh, my gosh. This went from you know a zero to a billion in about 13 seconds over the course of, uh, of the weekend. So, um, the yeah the the thing I'll say about the Kelly hire, uh, I think that this cycle there really wasn't anyone that uh, LSU thought might be like the long run future. Like Brian Kelly had talked about retiring this year. He got this recruiting class, I think last year or maybe the year before, and said, I really like this one. Maybe I'm going to stay on. I know his daughter is like a senior. Um, so it was surprising uh, only in the sense that uh, LSU, I think, punted on this on this uh, cycle and brought in someone who has a track record of recruiting good offensive and defensive linemen, because that's where look at like Florida State, for instance, that's where you get messed up is if you lose your development of your linemen with a coach that goes wrong, then your program spirals. And the SEC, you have no latitude for that. So I think that by hiring Brian Kelly, they were able to um, kind of make sure and ensure that their pipeline for developing elite offensive and defensive linemen was going to stay intact regardless of what happened, keep the program on the right direction. Lincoln Riley, I mean, there's there's so much drama and nonsense there. That one that one feels like that was out of left field for me. So that was really, um, really uh, surprising. Yeah, the Lincoln Riley one for me was the, the more surprising one. Uh, Brian Kelly, I had, so I've got friends down in Baton Rouge. I had been told all the way back in October uh, that, Brian Kelly's bunch had been reached out to from LSU. He's got the same agent, uh, Trace Armstrong, as Lincoln Riley does. So the fact that, and I had been told forever that there was no legs to this Lincoln Riley to LSU mess and that it's a smokescreen. Now, I didn't know what was going to happen with Lincoln Riley. I thought that he was just staying put, which is why it was significantly more surprising to me that he went to USC. Um, but then at the end of the day, I mean, it all does make perfect sense, right? Hindsight's always twenty twenty. The Brian Kelly stuff, Kyle, you and I could not disagree more about Brian Kelly and what he does. He is the perfect coach to bring in for LSU, who has had no real structural organization over the past few years. You get that guy in there, and he will completely lay the foundation, not only for however long he is there, but kind of doing the same thing that Saban did, which was get all the ducks in a row, and then you can be successful for a decade plus after he ends up leaving. I think it's perfect for him, right? He wants to win a national title. Everybody knows you can win national titles at LSU. I, I think it was a, a smart idea for Kelly to take the job. Uh, I think it did happen quicker. Now, obviously, nobody told me back in October that, yeah, Brian Kelly's done. This is a done deal. I had just heard that they were very, very interested in him. 
and it had more to do with there's less risk. You don't have to worry about a whole lot. I think the floor right now at LSU is about eight and four, nine and three. You don't have to worry about these five and five, six and six seasons anymore. I think Brian Kelly and the way that he will be able to utilize that talent will have them competing every single season in Baton Rouge. Uh, that's to me that was the I don't want to say it was the best hire uh, because the it looks like one A one B right now. Uh, but I do think that it was the perfect hire for LSU. And I think that Lincoln Riley might have been the perfect hire for USC with what he's able to do out there on the West Coast. Uh, with that said, I don't see any more questions in the chat. So we're going to go ahead and get out of here, not take up too much more of your time. We certainly appreciate everybody that was here today. Uh, let's go ahead and do the picks recap for the day, give you what we've got. And Parker, let's start off with you. What you got for us today? Uh, I've got two plays today and this weekend. I was tempted to take just all of them, but I knew that would be irresponsible. So I'm going to go with Utah to, to win again in the repeat or in the rematch and, and cover that two and a half. And then I like Kent State quite a bit against uh, Northern Illinois here in the MAC championship. I am. I, I've got a lot of plays this weekend, which is normally not smart when you've got such a low number of games. But I do like all of these. Uh, so four of them today: Western Kentucky as a three-point favorite against North, or against uh, uh, UTSA, excuse me. I like Kent State, minus three-and-a-half against Northern Illinois. I like Oklahoma State as a favorite of five-and-a-half against uh, Baylor. I've got them as, uh, as an eight-point favorite here, so the fact that this is below a touchdown I feel really good about. And Louisiana, I've actually got them as a favorite, and the fact that I'm catching points with them at home in Napier's last game with a senior-laden team, I feel good about that one. Kyle, what, uh, what games you got for us? I'm on Western Kentucky minus three, uh, as well as Gary on, the, on that one. And I'm going to take Oregon and Utah under 58 in that Pac-12 title game. I like it. I like it a lot. All right. Let me remind everybody, head over to BetUS.com. That is your one-stop shop. That is where you need to go. And, of course, they are where the game begins. That's us. We're the BetUS College Football Show. Uh, on top of that, like the video, subscribe to the channel, hit the notification bell. We'll, we'll be live again tomorrow, Thursday, 12 p.m. Eastern time. We got five more games that we got to hit for this weekend, and I could not be more excited about them. A lot of big matchups that we will be discussing tomorrow, so make sure that you are back here again. And, of course, as always, jump into the chat. We would love to get your opinions, your questions. Leave some comments. We want to be able to interact with you on the YouTube channel. With that said, we are going to go ahead and get out of here. You guys have been fantastic. Continue to share the show out and tell your friends about it. Uh, for that, we will see you all again tomorrow for BetUS, where the game begins.